Hi, I'm Elizabeth Bowman, and this is the Opera Glasses Podcast. Today, I have Canadian Grammy Award-winning baritone Elliot Medore with me. He has sung with major opera companies and orchestras throughout Europe, the United States, Asia, and of course, Canada. He's a very interesting artist. He started very young and he is sustaining a wonderful career for himself. He is also the cover artist for the current winter edition of Opera Canada magazine, which is on newsstands now. Anyway, excited to have Elliot here today. Let's get to it. Elliot, welcome to the Opera Glasses podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. So where are we talking to you from? I am in Boston right now from my hotel room. I'm looking out the window at Fenway Park and I'm uh, we're, we're in rehearsals for Mattacoin's Eurydice. I'm performing the role of Orpheus and we're going to be opening in about a week's time. How long have you been working on that role? Have you performed it before or I mean it's obviously it had its world premiere very recently. Yeah, so it it had its world premiere in LA and they they recently did it at the Met and Matt wanted to do a chamber version of this opera and so Boston Lyric Opera commissioned this this chamber version which is a lot more intimate because Matt really wanted to explore a much more closely knit piece i guess you could say the version that he's produced is quite beautiful and we've been working on this now we've been in rehearsals for 3 weeks now and i've been working on this piece for but i would say about 3 months in total it's it's a, it, it's a tricky piece i would say rhythmically very difficult it's been a joy to work on it and the music itself is is truly very very beautiful and is matthew there is he yeah, he's conducting the piece. He's conducting it. So it's been really, really great to get to know him. I'd never met him before. Of course, I've been a fan of his work, but it's it's been a joy working with him. He's, he's a fantastic conductor, and obviously a very gifted uh, composer as well. When you're working with the composer directly in this iteration, is there any flexibility with with what happens musically with your role uh, or are you reading from the score exactly or do you are you able to make suggestions based on what works for your voice matt's been great with everyone he's he's extremely flexible and if if there's something that doesn't quite work uh, we've we can certainly talk to him about that Uh, and at the same time he has a very clear idea of what he wants and, and how he wants the piece to sound and i think the the joy of working with him is that he's he's extraordinarily articulate and so when you ask him a question about the character or what he wants musically he's he's able to articulate that in a really beautiful artistic way <laughs> and so it's uh it's almost kind of poetic actually uh and so it's it's been a joy to work with him on that and he's a great guy and so if we do need something changed yeah he he's definitely uh, very flexible in that regard. Yeah, you've done a, a fair amount of new music in your career. You have a steady diet of it. I assume that mm. that helps with all the traditional repertoire uh, as well, like in terms yeah. of advising how you approach it all. It keeps it fresh, I imagine. I mean, yeah, no, I, I, I love I love singing new music. I, I, I think there's something wonderful about not having to carry around the baggage of a, of a piece or having to deal with preconceived expectations of a piece. I I really enjoy that. And at the same time, producing something that's modern and fresh and interesting and something that's never been heard before to explore that realm is 
it's really artistically satisfying. So I, I very much enjoy that process. I've had the pleasure of working with most recently John Adams. We did Girls of the Golden West, his new opera, and we, we just recorded that with the LA Philharmonic. And that, that process in general is, is, was, was really, really satisfying. Also to work with Peter Sellers, uh, who, who directed the piece and who wrote the libretto for the piece as well. I, I enjoy creating something from scratch. There's something there's something that that you can't really well, you can't replicate that, of course, with traditional repertoire. You're coming from Edmonton where you were singing the title role and Don Giovanni is speaking of traditional yes. repertoire. So it's like quite a juxtaposition from <laughs> from the Mozart Don Giovanni to to this uh Matthew O'Coin. And and how was Edmonton? Was it freezing? <laughs> Edmonton, you know what? The weather wasn't bad, and and I was kind of disappointed actually. When I was performing in Zurich, there was a I had a friend of mine who actually, strangely enough, lives in Edmonton, and he was singing with me there, and he told me that it was minus fifty or something, which is pretty crazy. So that that was my expectation. You know, I thought I was going to go there and it'd be minus fifty, but it was pretty mild actually. You know, I I love working. Joel and I, Joel Ivany, we have a wonderful relationship. He's a good friend of mine. So whenever I have the opportunity to work with him. I definitely try and make that happen. And this Giovanni came up and it was in English. And Joel had a new concept about the piece. He really wanted to lean into the comedic side of it. And so it was, I would say, a lot less dangerous, I would say, maybe. And uh, just really leaning into, you know, the the buffo aspects of, of that piece. And the audience loved it. We we really enjoyed it. We had a lot of fun. And of course, it was uh, a little bit tricky for my brain to switch from Mozart to Matacoin <laughs> relatively quickly. So that was that was tough, but it was a challenge, but I enjoyed it. So you, you recently did Don Giovanni with Joel with the Banff and the National Arts Center collaboration as well. And that was obviously in Italian. Yes. So was there a similar element to how you guys did it or other than the English translation? What, what were the differences? I'm just curious. Well, the, the main differences uh, in the Edmonton production, the, the recitatives were replaced by spoken dialogue in English. Interesting. Yeah. And Joel really wanted to lean into the local aspect of, of of the piece, meaning there was a lot of Edmonton slash Alberta references, uh, which which the audience loved. You know, for example, I referred to myself as the great one. You know, of course, the, the Wayne Gretzky reference, which is appropriate for for anybody who is a hockey fan would know that one. Yeah. Uh, and so he really wanted to lean into in, lean into that aspect. And of course, when we did it in Ottawa and when the young artists did it in Banff, it was all Italian, Italian recitative. I think that lent to a more traditional rendering of the piece, even though there was a little bit more of a modernized take on it uh, mm -hmm. in terms of the set. I think all of us, the, the portrayals of the characters were... Uh, a little bit more traditional, I would say. Joel is doing really great things for opera right now. And yeah. his attention to his audience, who is coming, who could possibly come to the opera, is visible in, in the projects that he is executing. So I'm grateful that, uh, to him for from, from the industry standpoint uh, for all the work that he's been doing. 
I mean, the audience enjoyment of Don Giovanni in that way is just a wonderful thing. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think Joel one of his one of his greatest strengths beyond being a great director and a great storyteller. I think one of the things that he's able to do is to really, I think, as you alluded to, was to really understand his audience and to know how to bring them to the theater, how to attract these people to the theater. You know, he certainly did that with ATG and he's doing that with Edmonton Opera. When when we were there, it was pretty much sold out uh, for both performances, which was amazing because the theater in Edmonton is quite large. <laughs> so uh, to, to have that be completely packed was really, really special. And, and Joel certainly knows how to do that. That's good news because that's not necessarily the overarching narrative for our business no. right now. So, no. so that's really wonderful. I want to talk to you on a Joel yeah. Ivany related note about identity because I mentioned it in my editor's letter as a project that I admired. And I understand that it's potentially being expanded upon artistically. And I just wanted to touch on that in our conversation today. So can you tell me a bit about how that project came to life and where it's going now? I guess I could start with just a little bit of background on myself that, that may help to, to, to bring a little bit of context to, to the piece. Uh, so I'm, I'm biracial. My, my father is black. My mother is white. I, I've never met my father. And so I had always, uh, from a young age, struggled with, with my identity, with with knowing how to identify and, and where to identify. And, and so it was a little bit of a, a void that I, that I had to navigate as, as a child and, and as a teenager. And I had posted a social media post whereby I basically said, you know, that I wanted to identify as, as being black. I felt that that was really important because it was a part of myself that I wasn't able to, to express previously. And, and so the, the ability to do that was freeing for me. And it was a, a very, very beautiful experience for me. And, and I, I received a lot of wonderful support. And part of that support, of course, came from, from Joel Ivany. And, and he said, you know, that, that was a really brave post. And I was wondering if you might be interested in, in turning this into a musical project. And so we started along that journey. And another good friend of mine, Danuk Wijaratne, a wonderful composer, I had suggested him to Joel and, and Danuk came up, came aboard and started composing uh, a song cycle um, built around this idea of identity. And we also found a wonderful librettist, Shante Grant, uh, she is a, a wonderful poet. She's also a children's book author. She writes very, very beautiful poetry. And so we we started along this journey, um, many, many Zoom sessions chatting about how we might get this done. And we most recently completed a a film about uh, about this, uh, whereby we had five songs, and and I talked about my my childhood and and uh that that was a very very satisfying piece and we're in the process of creating another five songs and we're hoping to have that completed soon and when that's done we're we're going to have a, what will effectively be a a, a 60 minute live performance uh, hopefully soon either in the fall or or next spring i think that this piece was was really written for for everybody to have everybody in mind everybody struggles with with identity in a certain way whether that be gender identification, whether that be sexual identity, uh, you know, wh whether that be racial identity, we, we all 
struggle to know ourselves. And really, this piece is about the journey of somebody trying to find who they are and really uh, ultimately making the choice and saying, you know, this is this is who I am and this is who I want to be and, and being firm about that. And uh, so I think in that sense, uh, everybody can can relate to that. I love the connections here between how this all formed. You had an honest post on mm -hmm. social media that you would have never necessarily imagined would result in, you know, yeah. growing into such a such a big project and for that to resonate with Joel and then for then it to birth into this beautiful thing. And now the idea of seeing it live is an amazing thing. I hope I hope I'll get to see it when when it comes out. Yeah. You don't yeah. necessarily have all of those connections in a performance, especially in the classical music sphere. You no. don't necessarily have that relationship between the performer, the composer, the librettist. Yeah. Um, the, even the producer, like here, here yeah. you have all of the elements connected in, in a way that the audience will certainly feel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's a really, really good point. Um, and you know, this, this project has been so insular, you know, it's, we, we've really been able to just build this from the ground up with, with everybody. Yeah. I, I didn't think about it that way, but, but that's really, really true. And, and so to be able to do that, has allowed a great deal of artistic freedom and a great deal of transparency between all of us. And I think it's, it's led to some really, really beautiful moments. And so, yeah, that's a really, really good observation. Yeah. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> you have had a long career for your age. You started very young and yeah. you had success young. And we, I think, in the winter issue, you are the cover artist of our <laughs> winter issue, which is on newsstands now. You talk about uh, starting young and yeah. how it impacts your career and, and how you've had to sort of redefine yourself as you've gone along. Can you sort of touch on that a little bit for those who have not necessarily read that article? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, the trajectory of my Career, I guess. I guess you could say started from from school. Uh, I have to go all the way back. You know, I got into Curtis when I was seventeen. Did my undergraduate degree there, and I, I left my master's degree early uh, because I won the, the Met competition. I was twenty two, and I was offered a position in the Lindemann Young Artist Program, which you know, which I jumped at. I was a very competitive kid. <laughs> and I wanted to get things done as quickly as possible, which served me really, really well at the time. You know, I, I, I left the Lindemann program early. I, I had a fest contract with the Zurich Opera House. For, uh, that was. I just want to just cut you off for a second well, because course. some people listening don't necessarily oh, know. Right. Yeah, of course. Don't uh, know the so, lingo. So let's. <laughs> right. Of course. The Lindemann program is the Metropolitan Opera's Young Artist Program. And to a fest contract, do you want to elaborate on? Yeah, that? so a fest contract—it's a, a yearly contract that you sign with, with with an opera house. They assign you roles that that you sing. It's it's basically like a a, a year-round job that you have, you know, with, with, with an opera house. That, that's what it is. Anyway, you can continue. I just yeah. So um, so I, I signed a fest contract, and and I started in Zurich when I was uh, twenty-five. And, and as you might imagine, uh, that was that was a very uh, big move for me uh, to 
to go all by yourself uh, to to Zurich and to to live in Europe for the first time on your own. It was a big change, and and I had the responsibility of singing, you know, very important very important roles with with that opera house, and so that that was a that was a very very heavy burden for for me to carry, and I had to learn a lot about myself at a very young age, and I had to learn a lot about re- resiliency. And I, I had to, you know, that was also the first time that I was out without my my wonderful voice teacher, Marlena Malice. Uh, you know, she she wasn't around to. To help me out, if if I had any issues, I was sort of on my own there. So I had to, um, you know, I had to really teach myself in in a lot of ways. I had to learn how to produce an operatic sound that 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 made sense and and that that was healthy and repeatable. And um, it was it was quite quite the journey at a young age. Uh, and you know, I'm certainly grateful for it. I learned a lot. I'm grateful that I started young, but uh, I won't lie; it was it was it was quite difficult. And how did you keep things fresh or keep the trajectory going upward? How did you work on that, or did you consciously work on that? I worked very hard. <laughs> I worked very very hard. <laughs> That's how I kept it going. Uh, really, there's there's no there's no secret other than uh, hard work. I I practice a lot. Uh, not not just on my my vocal technique, but I worked on my body. I worked. I, I exercised. I worked musically. Uh, I, I tried to cultivate myself artistically. I, I read a lot. I went to art museums. I tried to be a well-rounded person. Uh, I, I tried to bring interesting insights in, into my uh, characterizations when I when I came to rehearsals. And you know, I I think. You know, it's funny. I was talking to my agent about this. Uh, I think one of the things that that has really been able to carry me through all these years is is consistency, and I think that's a really underrated thing for opera singers to think about. But any anyone, I think, con- yeah, consistency yeah. in everything. Just doing a little bit of something every day will lead to massive improvements. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and being able to, to, to build up that quality. And then, you know, the, the, it's not, what I would say is it's not, well, I shouldn't say that. It is very difficult to attain a career. It's very, very difficult. But what's actually much more difficult is to sustain a career. That is incredibly difficult. And, you know, I was talking to a buddy of mine, who's also an opera singer. And, you know, we were saying, even to have a five-year career in opera is, is amazing. Is absolutely amazing. To have a ten-year career is is great. A fifteen-year career is is you know it's almost like a borderline miracle because you you to to do that to live like a nomad to you know and and if you want to have a family if you want to do things if you want to you know set up roots I mean it, it's it's incredibly difficult mm-hmm. um, and you know we're relying on vocal cords that are you know thinner than pieces of paper and and that's our that's our livelihood. So it's, it's, it's incredibly, it's incredibly difficult. Yeah. Can I ask, do you have something in your routine that 
like you would define as incredibly important to your everyday health. Like you mentioned exercise and all these things. Hmm. Do you do something in particular? Do you meditate or do you have something that helps you stay centered? I walk a lot. <laughs> um, that that might not seem um, very interesting. I like to go on very, very long walks when I can. And, and without without any electronics, without, you know, headphones or anything like that, but just going on a very long walk and just being in my thoughts. And I, I always come away from those walks with new ideas or new thoughts or things that I can try and integrate into, you know, my, my practice routine or, you know, so it, it, that that's been something that that has has really, uh, you know, helped me, I think. I think walking is the most underrated exercise ever. I like walking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love walking. And I just think before, I mean, I'm a runner. and mm-hmm. um, But before I was a runner, I was a walker. And I still walk quite a lot. But when I was doing a lot of walking, yeah. I thought, why do people not even regard walking? as exercise you know it's it is it is definitely exercise and it's really good for you um you know especially if you're you're putting in the miles you know yeah absolutely absolutely everyone i hope people are walking while they listen to this (laughs) (laughs) i I just wanted to circle back because there was just one other thing that i wanted to to mention um you know we talked a lot about consistency and and you know trying to retain that to, to sustain your career. And I, and I think the, the other thing that, that has helped me as well is to, to have the mindset that every single rehearsal that I go to, every single time that I have a coaching or, or anything like that, I always treat it like it's a performance. And I think that's been also something that, that has helped me a great deal. Not only does that mindset prepare you for the actual performances, but I, I think it sort of fortifies your mind and your body as well. And so when you when you go in with that mindset, it, I think that has really helped sustain me as well. I think that's a great mindset because also you never know who's listening. Oh, yeah. You never know who's in the building at yeah. that moment. And people pop in to to listen to rehearsals or even coachings. Yeah. You just, you know, they Absolutely. might just be there or they might be walking by by while while it's happening and you just yeah. never know who's listening something that that reminds me of is my husband Benjamin Bowman who's concert master of the Metropolitan Opera he was he also went to Curtis uh, <laughs> but he did uh, sorry that just popped into my mind but that it, this doesn't relate to that but he <laughs> did a lot of busking when he was a young guy mm-hmm. and after Curtis, he didn't do the, the audition tour that everyone does. He moved back to Toronto and he was busking at the St. Lawrence market. And no that's where he was discovered by Richard Bradshaw, who was the general mm-hmm. director of the Canadian opera company. And that's he would go crazy. out there and get his busking spot with his buddies and he would play. I mean, Ben is an amazing violinist, obviously. But imagine going to the St. Lawrence Market as Richard Bradshaw. And then, you know, and and he also had that same mindset of treating everything like a performance. And even if you're out busking, 
on a Saturday morning and you're having a, a good, good time, he, you know, he was still with that same mindset. And that mindset obviously led to him working at the Canadian Opera Company also at a very young age. So, yeah, I just thought that story just reminded yeah. me of, of, of what, what you were saying with that. And I think that all artists should carry that with them and, yeah. and know that it will lead to good things. What roles do you hope you'll sing? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. You know, I, I, I've been really fortunate. And, uh, you know, I, I had a conversation with my wife about this recently. But, uh, you know, when I was younger, th these were my goals. I wanted to sing at the Met. I wanted to have an international career. Uh, I wanted to sing Don Giovanni. And I wanted to sing Peleas. And I think I did all of those things by the time I was, you know, 25 or something. And so I had to, I, I truly did not expect things to happen that quickly. So I, I, I had to sort of kind of redefine what my goals were. And, and, you know, for, for a long time, I, my goal really was to try to sustain the career that I had. And, uh, you know, I've done that now for, for quite a while. And, you know, I, th there's definitely some, some, some roles that, that I would love to, to, to tackle eventually. I've done these roles, but, but I'd love to do more of them. I'd love to do Figaro in, in the Barber of Seville. I'd love to do some more uh, Cosi, Guglielmo. I'd love to do that more. Uh, Malatesta. I would like to do Belcore. I'd like to do that as well. And, and I think one of the, the uh, Onyegin, of course, um, <laughs> Would love to do Onyeg, and I've never done that. And uh, and I think really, you know, farther down the line, um, th there's a role that that I that I'd like to do maybe in my, when I'm a little bit older. Uh, but that would be Votsek. I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to tackle that one day for sure. Wow, <laughs> all great roles that that I can certainly see you in. <laughs> Thank you so much for having this conversation with me and being here. My pleasure. I hope that the Boston Lyric performances go well i guess Thank you're you. opening march 1st march 1st yeah march 1st is the first first performance looking forward to it 